Magalhaes to Stokes, who's onside. Wonder. Here's Sims. It's a good serve this from Southampton. They could finish the job here. It's Shane Long, and he has done it. Just a minute to play. A stoppage time. Here's Letizia. just realised I'm going to have to change my title of this podcast, which was Saints Top 4, because we're now Top 5. Thanks, Leicester. <laughs> um, obviously, that game's ongoing, so we may be Top 4 again, but it looks like they're 2-0 ahead, so we'll, we'll forget about that. And instead, I think we'll have a theme of what is a James Ward-Prowse. How does that sound, Tom? I, we've all got lots of, uh, lots of things to say on that one, John. Yeah. Um, so, as you can guess, listener, to, uh, Tom Parker is... Uh, sat opposite me um he's got his new microphone thanks for the feedback from that someone even said that they could listen in the shower tom um whilst they were they were listening to the podcast that's how that's how much better the sound quality was with your new microphone so um it's like john yeah listening to the podcast in the shower well actually yeah. uh, uh, we've got a new sponsor for this uh show as well tom segway perhaps this kind of segues into it because th- actually our sponsor their product you can use in the show apparently so i'm, I'm going to do the when you get a podcast sponsor tom they quite often the ones which have done it with you know do the whole podcasting advertising regularly they send you some show notes to to go through so i'm gonna i'm gonna hit the brief here and we'll we'll, we'll do this properly um and they've got some talking points for us to go through tom so we'll see how we get okay. on with this okay Support for the Saints FC podcast is brought to you by Manscaped, who is the best in men below the waist grooming. Manscaped offers precision engineered tools for your family jewels. Oh, it's a nice, it's a nice strap line, that. Um, and they, so, Tom, they've also given some some talking points. They've also sent us some free products, and I'm going to mm. do, um, you know, your. Uh, lovely young daughter probably hasn't got to the point where she's watching unboxing videos on youtube which is where kids kind of empty you know open up a box of toys we're going to do an unboxing from our new sponsors um but yeah so there's this company called manscaped um they are very much targeting the male section of our audience and uh, they they produce um you know men's grooming products and you know for below the waist tom so that's that's an area that we're gonna have to talk about <laughs> i can't remember the last time i shaved my legs john <laughs> <laughs> um so one of the talking points was host to talk about a time when he hurt his balls while trimming below the belt or a funny ball trimming story <laughs> tom i don't know if i can do this can you i i, I don't know if I, i've always been too i mean maybe this is why a product like this is needed because you know, whilst uh, yeah, I'm quite a hairy guy, uh, my my half of my family are Maltese, um, which is you know one of the hairier of the Mediterraneans, I'd say, uh, and I've always been too scared to do for my actual, you know, uh, uh, what are those things that hang off the bottom of clocks. Uh, yeah, always been, always been too scared to go for that bit. Cause that to me is there lies there lies danger. I always think. Okay. Well, I think. You know, basically, Manscaped, they've just launched in the UK. Um, apparently, we've gone years without using the right tools for the job. Um, and now, listener, you have your chance to be one of the first men in England to experience their life-changing products. They've sent us some of their life-changing products, Tom. I'm going to l- open this live on the podcast. So you're going to hear the, okay. the microphone's going to go to opening the box. That's the tape coming off. I'm looking inside. And um, so this is basically what, what Manscaped's trying to get you to buy. Um Mm, pair of boxer shorts, um, ball toner, reviving ball toner, <laughs> and ball deodorant. I don't know how much reviving you need. <laughs> and then um, there's a nice tremor here. That's, that's the sound it makes. Ooh, there we go. Um, basically, the the yeah. Anyway, 
You, you know the deal. Listener, if you want to give these a try, we have got an amazing offer from Manscaped. So you can, um, you can go onto their website. They've got some incredible deals already on there. And you can also get 20% off and free shipping by typing in SAINTS, all block capitals, into the coupon case to get 20% off and free what? shipping. Um, and here it says, you know, another thing for me to point out, your balls will thank you. So try that out, listener. Let us know <laughs> how you get on. Um, if anyone does have some funny stories they'd like to share about that, um, then, then then do do that. But, yeah. Hey, Tom, I think we should get on to the other foot the balls, you know, which is the footballs at this point. Yes, I think that's a, that's a, a good, that's another good segue out of there, John. <laughs> yeah. um, very slick, like your balls. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Not yet. <laughs> i got to say, I was mortified, Tom, because I, I gave them my, my personal home address and then uh, when yeah. I got the kind of delivery note emailed across, I was just like, your parcel's been delivered. I was like, well, nothing's arrived at home. And then I noticed that I must have accidentally given the postcode for my work address and not my home address. And there was this photograph of this package from this company for me left on the reception desk at work. Thankfully, the packaging was quite discreet. But, you know, oh, for a good. moment, I was, I was a little bit anxious there. Do it. You're going to walk in and the, like the lady was like, John, your, your ball trimmer's alive. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> right. Football, football, football now. So... Southampton for Aston Villa three. What a humdinger of a game, Tom, and what an amazing uh, first half this was in particular. Um, so, 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 so good. And, you know, even from about three minutes in, I think when Che Adams, I don't know if he even did find the net, but he had a goal ruled out for offside, even though it looked like an own goal from Villa. We were just on the front foot for that entire first half and looked absolutely fantastic. And Tom, I mean, how, how were you feeling at you know, this game? It was just great, wasn't it? It was great. I, I managed to get out to the pub. I managed to, to take my wife and my baby out to the pub to find a pub that showed it with sound on, which is quite rare nowadays. I, I think you've got to have sound. So very exciting. Just even getting to the pub was exciting. But yeah, Saints were rampant, weren't they? I mean, the first 45 minutes was just unplayable. And every player did their bit. And I think... You know, we'll, we'll talk about the goals, but sort of Villa didn't really know what hit them, did they? No, yeah, it was it was relentless. The pressing was fantastic. The uh, midfield duo of um, you know James Will Prowse and Ori Romeo were absolutely tip top again. You know, we, they were just great all over the park. I thought Carl Walker Peters was great, kind of coming up the wing. Ings and Adams looked good. Armstrong looks like he's getting back to full fitness. Vestergaard, mm. I mean didn't have loads to do in the first half but every time he was called upon he and Begnarek kind of dealt with what they had um, I don't think McCarthy had to do anything in the first half so he's probably the only player that you could say didn't have an amazing first half performance but he ended up having a good performance by the end of the match God yeah so um, no, it was, uh, it's a lot to love John I, I, yeah should, so, well should we start with the Chadham's offside goal Yes, good place to start. Three minutes in. So we've given them a warning, haven't we, by this stage? We, this is by the stage we hit the bar, or did we hit the bar afterwards? We hit the bar just after this. Yeah, we hit the bar just hit after this, but we'd had a really nice kind of surge forward um, at this point. And I think Ings had kind of cut it back. It'd gone out for the corner, and then that gets whipped in. Ings does a really lovely kind of flick-on header, doesn't he? And Was it Ings or was it was it Vastigard? Was it Vastigard, yeah. Perhaps it was Vastigard. And yeah, it, 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 to be fair, if we take our Saints hat off and put our regular football fan hat on, it was offside, I guess, by the law of the land. And yeah, yeah, he prop possibly didn't touch it, but like Bill Shankly said, if you're not interfering with play, then what are you doing on the pitch? Um, I think it's one of those ones where the players sort of didn't really celebrate, did they? It was a bit weird. And I, and I guess... Um, you just kind of knew. But what was unusual, that they were, it was able to get all the way back to basically taking kickoff before VAR was able to discern that it was mm. offside. Like a, and it looked like a pretty cut and dried one. So it was a bit strange. But, yeah, it, it was one of those ones where you sort of feel a bit aggrieved if it had 
gone against you, but if it had gone for you, it'd be totally, totally like, yeah, that's totally the right decision. I've got no doubt about that. Yeah. I mean, one of the things as well, which I haven't noticed before, is on the kind of um, footage, it looked as though they were showing the big screen in the stadium. So the players were getting a mm. chance to actually see what the referees were reviewing. And I don't know if that's a normal thing or not, if, if that's a new thing they've brought in for this season. But um, we got to see Chadham's reaction as you know, he saw his goal being ruled out and the lines being drawn from his shoulder down to the heel of um, the Aston Villa defender and it being ruled out. And it, he had quite a good face that was captured on, on the screen, I think, for when his goal was, was ruled out. I think he, just, he kind of had the face of just a fan, didn't he? Of yeah. like, oh, like, just like total nonsense. But I, I thought, John, they'd, they'd, were they going to change VAR so it's like shoulders don't count or something like that? Or have I just completely made that up? I think there was a lot of debate, wasn't there? Because last season they were doing it from the armpit. Right. Which I think, or that that's what the kind of narrative was. But it, it should be, I think, the kind of furthest forward part of your body that you can legitimately score a goal with. Interesting. So the armpit is quite a good marker, I suppose, for kind of perhaps where your shoulder ends and your yeah. arm starts. Um, so, yeah, they're basically doing it from the shoulder, shoulder down and... and you know, he was, I don't know, a couple of centimetres further forward, wasn't he? And yeah. it, although he didn't touch the ball, yeah, I mean, he was definitely involved, wasn't he? Yeah, and a great corner from JWP. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, we'll get on to James Ward-Prowse in a moment, Tom, because I don't think we're going to get through this product, pro- product <laughs> podcast without talking about him quite a lot. Uh, but before that... We did have the Walcott opportunity, didn't we? So, I mean, he's come close twice now. He, he had that chance um, against Chelsea, which Vestergaard obviously like skimmed into the, the net with his head. And then this one, I think it was tipped onto the bar by the Villa keeper. Yeah, it was a, it was a good move, wasn't it? It was a break down the right. Prowse with a lovely flick on, I think, to Danny Ings. And yeah, it was a, it was a funny one with, with Walcott because he hits it first time almost as if he's he's leaning backwards um and yeah forced a decent save but you you wonder if he would have you know he might would have been better off trying to take on his man and cut inside um yeah he maybe just lacking a little bit of confidence when it comes to that final shot but but you know he tested the keeper yeah and, I, and yeah so but again it's another warning shot isn't it yeah another warning shot and then we finally get to um you know, the, the, the kind of first Saints goal, which again comes from some uh, work down the right-hand side. And um, uh, we win a foul. I think, was it from a, a foul on Carl Walker-Peters? I can't remember. Yeah. Kind of coming up the right-hand it, side. The whole thing was a bit weird because it was a foul throw, I think. Um, and you heard all the Villa players shout for a foul throw, Carl Walker-Peters. And the linesman standing right next to it and the referee just totally ignored it. And then it was a foul, but I didn't think it was a foul. And I think, and the weird thing about it was that, you know, Walker Peters had already well crossed the ball by the time Target sort of hit him. Yeah. So like, it was a bit of a weird one, but obviously we, we won't complain. But yeah, kind of two slightly controversial moments in the build-up. Yeah. Um, so James Ward-Prowse, obviously, steps up for the free kick. Great opportunity for him to get a cross in. Vestergaard towards the back post moves towards the ball and he heads this yes with so much power and force i think he gets as much speed on it as a ricky lambert penalty he levered it with his head didn't he <laughs> i think but it was it was great because it was a fantastic free kick from 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 james will Prowse, as you expect and he put almost all the power he put you know, a lot of power into the ball and then best guys like, actually i want a bit more power actually <laughs> i think i'll take i'll take, take the net really. out and um yeah, it kind of loses McGinn. And it was interesting because it's sort of like you wonder, like, why has Vestergaard not been doing that like, almost like every week? There's no one taller on the pitch. Um, but it was a great header. And he, you know, he's turned into a hell of a player. Yeah, and he, he picked his spot as well. I mean, he banged it mm. into the top corner with his head. Yeah. I mean, the, the, the neck muscles and control and also, I don't know, 
Tom, when you play football and you're an amateur, I think kind of like one of the things that lots of amateur footballs, footballers do is close their eyes when the ball's coming towards them for a header. Sure. But, you know, there's, you can't do that. And he's facing up to a really whipped in James Will Prowse cross and just smashing that back into the top corner yeah. with his head. Um, it's made me actually um, think back to the, the days when I used to go and watch lower league football when I was growing up in Bath. And there was a guy called Andy Tilson who played for Bristol Rovers. And he used to do a warm-up with the goalkeeper before the match started where the goalkeeper would be kicking it uh, to just beyond the halfway line and he'd head it back to the keeper. He was able to head the ball you know, half the length of the pitch. And Vestergaard seems to have that sort of, that level of strength, you know. It's, it's kind of back in those uh, early 90s when lower league players, they, they might be good at one thing and nothing, <laughs> anything else. And Andy Jones <laughs> was just like the greatest header of the ball. <laughs> No, it was a. I think great movement. Great. It was a lot of like great free kick. Great free. Great free. Yeah, yeah. Great free kick. Great movement from Vestergaard, who got the slip on again, and yeah, it just it was a brilliant header. Yeah. Um, we then get some. You know, continue to to play really well. Saints are continue to push push forward. Um, we end up with Walcott getting the ball, kind of like deep into the Villa half. Yeah. Um, and then he's kind of felt by Luis, and suddenly we have a free kick in proper James Ward-Prowse territory here. Um, you're talking about 25 yards out, so plenty of time to kind of get the ball up and over the wall, dead centre, so the keeper can't really choose a side. You know, he's got to cover the whole whole goal. He knows the wall aren't going to do it. And it's, it's perfect James Ward-Prowse territory, this. And on his birthday, with an assist already in the bag from his assist to Vestergaard, he can't do anything but just absolutely smash it into the top left corner. Beautiful, wasn't it? Oh, yeah, it, it was postage stamp stuff. And you, I, I think uh, I, I thought he was going to score. Um, you just changed your general feeling. I think you're right, John. You look at everything. Like, it's the perfect distance. Yeah, he's full of confidence. Like He's going to score. And there's nothing... That, that, that the keeper could do about it, and he's a good keeper, Martinez, and he just he he couldn't get close to it. But what uh, the funny thing is, you can imagine like um, Saints have probably got well, have got a number of good things going on at the moment, and one of them is obviously um, with Redmond and with Walcott and with um, with Armstrong in particular, you've got players that are very adept at coming off the wings and sort of gliding into the middle of the park. And you can see now that teams are going to have a bit of a problem because they're either going to need to tackle them perfectly, it doesn't often happen anymore because every any sort of physical tackle is generally a foul, mm. or foul them, or let them go, or foul them. And you can imagine like Dean Smith would have said to his players like, "Do not foul in this like this golden bit of the pitch. Do not foul." And what do they go and do? Well, I mean, it's interesting though, isn't it? Because Villa just continued to commit fouls throughout the whole game. They've they've got that fouling, that's obviously part of their tactics, is tactical fouls. Mm. But this is the point where a tactical foul becomes the wrong tactics to employ, doesn't it? Because you give away a free kick to Saints in that area and you're in big trouble. Um, yeah. I mean, we'll, we'll get on to the, the second free kick as well, which I think you know was even more tricky. Um, it comes from uh, a Matt Cash handball, which I thought he was... Very lucky to not be sent off for. Well, John, he should have been sent off for it because he should have got booked for clattering Ward Prowse a few minutes before, I think. Yeah. But, but, think, but this, even if you just, just take before? that instant on its own, Tom, yeah. you can argue that he was denying a clear goal-scoring opportunity well, because does the ball go over him and Walcott takes it, then it's just Walcott versus the keeper. Matt Cash is the last defender. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't know the the law of the game to this extent, but I, I couldn't. I wondered it. Well, first off, the foul I think on Wall Prowse is before this, and it, mm. it's a good moment where he clatters James Wall Prowse and then sort of sides him. And I think by this point, Wall Prowse have been booked. We hope because he got booked quite early on. And you see Wall Prowse gets up full of rage and goes to run after him, and then obviously realizes he's been booked. And then being the very sensible, level-headed young man that he is, just sort of stops. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know, John. I mean, I think if it if the ball, I almost think that it, I guess look, if you stop the ball going through, and someone's going to be one on the keeper, that's generally you get sent off, don't you? I think. Yeah. 
Because I and I wonder if that had been a long ball over the top, and he'd done it. I you know I don't know. I mean I thought it was a when I first saw it I wondered if he didn't get sent off because there was still if you think about it from that point on Walcott still has to get control of the ball to create a goal scoring mm. chance. Yeah. Where you know so I don't know but I mean Whereas to me if he's already got control of it and then you commit a foul. foul. Yeah. Because I guess he's not quite he's not denied goal scoring chance because Walcott might shin it. You know, you know or who knows what he might do so. I don't know. Yellow was probably the right decision, but it felt like it could have been a red. But again, like, what a stupid thing to do. I know. Um, and to be honest, let's face it, you probably want a Theo Walcott who's slightly rusty after, you know, he's not had much game time since about March uh, last year when he kind of fell out of favour with Carlo Ancelotti. He's only had, um, yeah, this is what is his second game. Mm. Um, and so you probably would rather Walcott in a one-on-one situation rather than James Ward-Prowse again. This time, a bit closer, a bit harder, and lesser free-kick takers would find this very difficult to get from this distance up over the wall and then back down into the goal. Um, but he's done it again. It's it's an absolute beauty again as well, Tom, isn't it? It's a worldie. I think um, Martin Keown on Match of the Day 2 spoke about his whippish, I think he called it, like this, this, this ability to sort of very David Beckham to sort of, you know, he almost like cuts across the ball. Mm. Um, and his technique where you almost see him, like there's a moment where his, all of his, both his legs are off the ground, you know, like a, you know, he does this thing where he cuts across it so much, but yeah, Martinez couldn't get near it. And I think a lot of the, the pundits and, you know, Peter Crouch on match day two were saying that it's actually a harder goal than the first one because of the, the close range to get it, yeah, up and up and down again from twenty yards is is that much harder. But Martinez didn't have a chance. No, I do, I, I totally agree. And also the other thing which I think makes it even more impressive: not only has he got it over the wall, but it's not even gone like right in the top corner. It's about a good foot down from mm. the crossbar. Like so, he's got it up and down. It's also curving away from Martinez, so he's managed to get like enough topspin that it goes up and down and goes in, but also curving away so it kind of goes into the side netting from you know inside the pace. It's just beautiful. And again, he's hit it so hard. I think that's the thing. And the thing which you lose when you watch the slow motion replays is these, I think, are more impressive in real time. When you just oh, see God. how hard he hits it. And with that level of accuracy, it's just beautiful. Well, there's, there's a few things better than a free kick being taken and a goalkeeper not being able to dive. Yeah, yeah Matty yeah. used to do a good few years. There was a, I think Matty did a free kick against Aston Villa. I'll try and dig it out where I think it's like Steve Agreesvich or someone just, you know, can't, just can't dive. You know, the ball just whips such pace. But what do you do? I mean, I guess we'll talk more about, I mean, I sent John earlier, I think today, some stats about more fouls and then, his free kicks, but you know, you imagine now if you're Newcastle and you're doing your defensive drills for Friday, and you're looking at it going like, we cannot foul anywhere. We can't foul anywhere near the box because his crosses are deadly. Yeah, and it's not a one-trick pony. His crosses are deadly. His shots are deadly. I mean, Tom, I want to bring this this up, and um, I want you to choose your favourite in a moment. But also the XG that we've talked about before, so the expected goals. Mm. And I think, you know, when Saints get a free kick like that, I'm more surprised if we don't score from that situation than I am if, if we do. I think, like, Ward-Prowse hit a couple of free kicks awry in those first two games against Palace and uh, Tottenham. I can't remember which games it was, but one of them, he, he missed a free kick, and it went quite far away for, Ward- for Ward-Prowse. And I was kind of a, a little bit aghast, actually. But those two chances... I think one had like an XG of 0.11 and the other one like 0.15 or something like that. So y- you're basically giving it about a 1 in 10 for a normal human being could kind of score mm-hmm. from those sorts of chances. But James oh, will Prowse... Normal Premier League footballer, Jay. I mean, this is, you're talking like the best footballers in the world, yeah. 1 in 10. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, you'd need 20 of those free kicks to get two goals as James will Prowse managed... Um, on, on Sunday and you know maybe they need to have a new XG just for James Ward-Prowse free kicks because I can't, I felt like I knew he was going to score both of those 
I was, ne- I was never really, yeah. I wasn't surprised when the ball hit the back of the net for either. In fact, I was kind of expecting it. So he's now, uh, 30, is it, he scored 13% of the direct free kicks scored in the Premier League since the start of last season. Yeah. Because what did he get last season? He got at least three. And he got one at Norwich, one at, and two against Watford, or two against Norwich, one against Watford. Yeah, he definitely got two and against Watford. One against Spurs. No, Spurs was before that. So, um, yeah, the guy's deadly, quite simply. And I think the problem is, uh, free kicks are perfect, aren't they? Because you can't really... The opposition can't... If you get it right, the opposition can't do anything. And I think reading a lot about James Ward-Prowse today, so he's got 13%, I think, of the all-direct free kick scored since the start of last season. And we're like top 10 in Premier League history for direct free kicks. And the kid's 26. He's got 26. You know, he's going to probably play Premier League for the next seven, eight years, particularly in the condition he keeps himself in. Um, and he's going to take every single one of those free kicks. There's never Saints are never going to sign a player that's going to have the right to take free kicks over Ward Prowse. So as long as he's there, he's going to get chances. Yeah. Um, and also, I just uh, there's a fascinating thing about he does where he does his training, where he um, he doesn't just get like a big bag of of footballs and take dozens of free kicks. He apparently after training will take like three or four, because the idea is you know anyone can take fifty free kicks and score ten of them. But his point is, is he knows in a game he's only going to get one chance. From you know, we got two on Sunday. But like, you know, so he, it's all about for him psychologically making it matter. Yeah, making those. Which animals. is a really interesting way of looking at it. it yeah, it is. A, I mean, it doesn't necessarily make loads of sense to that sort of kind of um, naked eye thinking about that. But actually, what you know, when when you when you explain it like that. Does that mean he then puts more into practicing those four or five free kicks than he would do if he hit fifty? Where perhaps he might kind of like nonchalantly try a few bits and pieces that are different. You always give yourself the room to miss them, don't you? If you practice fifty, whereas if you practice five, you're going to want to put them all in the net. And a, a thing as well, I think it was in Dan Sheldon's piece yesterday in Athletic was talking about this about how they think he studies the walls. So he'll, you know, so right now I imagine, you know, the tactics team are sending him a, a thing of every direct free kick that Newcastle have faced probably where the weak points are, who doesn't jump, who's the shortest, you know, and he's he's looking to, to take advantage of all that. You know, he doesn't just get there and hit it. He knows exactly what he's doing from the, from the minute that ball is put there. And I think one of the fascinating things on that first goal was, there was the fouls committed, and you just see Wolf Powell straight away, just goes straight over. He just knows exactly, you know, he doesn't talk to anyone, just goes straight over to, to get that ball. Um, yeah, an amazing talent. Yeah, absolutely. So which one was your fave, Tom? The second one, because it it was a bit like the free kick. Was it in the Project Restart against Watford, where he got it up and under the wall? Yeah. You know, I liked it, and also I like any free kick where the goalkeeper can't dive. Yeah. It's, it adds, adds that little bit of extra je ne sais quoi, doesn't it? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, in, in the kind of closing stages of the uh, first half, we saw Bednarek um, take a whack, didn't we? Well, he mm. landed on his face, didn't he, after kind of jumping for the ball yeah. in the challenge. And he was subbed off at halftime. I can only assume that there must have been some sort of risk of concussion or a concern of concussion there, which meant we had Jack Stevens um, on the pitch. My initial thought was probably how excited Michael Cox would be that we now had one more of the one to eleven on the on the uh, pitch, <laughs> um, and you know I don't know whether this was linked to Jack Stevens. Probably not. I think it was more linked to the fact that we were three 0 up and we started we started cruising and Villa started looking a lot better. And quite yeah. early on in the second half, I think McCarthy makes two good saves down to his left. And I'm starting to feel a bit anxious. I mean, I was at St. Mary's when we threw away a 3-0 lead to Leeds United and was lost 4-3. I think we can all remember watching that game when we lost to Tranmere Rovers, I think, after being 3-0 up at half-time as well, lost that one 4-3. Did we lose to Norwich once or draw Norwich oh. being 3-0 up? We got, we got previous here, yeah, let's we, just safe to say. I mean, obviously, like, all my non-Saint supporting friends are texting me at this point, going, oh, look at the halftime score, oh, you're in dreamland. And, you know, to an extent, yes, I was. But 
as a Saints fan, you're always thinking, oh, but, you know, we'll, we can find a way to mess this up. Yeah. Unless we get four, you're like, hang on a yeah. minute. But, and yeah, then, I agree. But I think Saints did take their foot off the gas a little bit. But let's also, you know, Villa are no mugs. Like, Villa have got, in Grealish and Barkley, two top, top players. I mean, Grealish is just a phenomenon, isn't he? He's just such a talent. Yeah. And then that Ollie Watkins... Um, you know, when uh, was it Trezeguet came on, you know, he looked like a good player. I think it was almost like Saints took them so much by surprise that it was almost like they started the game. It was almost like they started the game 3 0 down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and yeah, I, I was kind of starting to feel already a little bit worried. I thought, you know, if Villa get an early goal in the second half, then suddenly their tails are going to be up we're going to get nervous and then we, we might have a chance of doing the whole Saints crumbling thing. Then we get an opportunity um, where we're kind of surging forward again. I think some quite nice work from Armstrong. Gets the ball out to Ings, who's at this point on the left wing, um, almost in the position where you'd expect to find Theo Walcott, cuts into the edge of the area and, oh, woof, Tom. I mean, this was a proper finish, wasn't it? It was a perler. It hit the bar and bounced down, which is the other best thing in football, apart from a goalkeeper not moving on a free kick, is is the ball hitting the bar and bouncing down. It it was great. I mean, this all starts as well from Carl Walker Peters like, jinking his way out of, out of the way of about four Villa players to take about three or four of them just out of the game completely. And yeah, and a really just a sort of slaloming Stuart Armstrong run. But you know, Danny Ings has still got a lot to do, but. God, didn't he? I mean, I said to, to well, I tweeted that it was reminiscent of um, Jay Rodriguez's goal against Fulham. Oh, yeah. Which is my favourite Premier League game for Saints, I think. Um, you know, in the 3 0 where Lambert, Lalana, and Jay Rodriguez scored. And it was a similar sort of just digging it out and just absolute exocet. Yeah, it was, it was just beautiful. It was, it was an absolute uh, thing of beauty. And I think I read um, a stat, and I did try to look for it before the podcast, but I couldn't find it. But I'm fairly sure I read a stat that Danny Ings has now scored the most goals from outside the area since the start of last season, which is an interesting stat to me because I think people think of Danny Ings as being an inside-the-box finisher, which he Well, is. John, I, I think that last year... Danny Ings, until Danny Ings scored that goal against Burnley, and if there's any fact fans, statos out there, come to me. The horrible home game against Burnley where we lost 2-1, mm-hmm. um, I think that was Danny Ings' first Premier League goal from outside the box. Okay. So since so, then, he's kind so of since that then, he's, Yeah. And if you think about it, that again, you know, if you think about all the things Saints have got in their locker, that's also quite terrifying. Because Danny Ings has just not changed his game. He's just added a whole new threat um, to this game. He's still scoring the sort of one-on-ones and the scruffy goals, but he's now added sort of Kevin De Bruyne Perlers. Um, it was a great goal. Oh, yeah. And then this this was the point, Tom, where I started to allow myself to enjoy it. You know, 4-0 <laughs> up. I thought, well, there's no, there's no coming now back gone. from this. Um and it's like, you know, the game finishes 4-3. Um, after Ings, we have Mings. Tyrone Mings gets ahead of goal very shortly afterwards. Sure. And um, I was, uh, you know, w- watching the game on, you know, for some some reason, my um, you know, very expensive stream that I paid for the £15 for seemed to be about five minutes behind real time, Tom. So I don't know <sighs> what was going on there. Uh, but obviously I was celebrating Danny Ings and us going 4-0 up whilst people on Twitter were bemoaning the fact that we'd just conceded a uh, quite a cheap goal to Tyrone Mings heading it in. And I think this was just Saints not really paying much attention, was it, that the Tyrone Mings headed goal? I think we'd left the door slightly ajar for Villa here, hadn't we? Yeah, they fell asleep a little bit, but... Again, yeah, if we talk about quality, uh, Grealish, um, as good a player as um, Carl Walker-Peters is, like Grealish, just kind of went... To, after that sort of 35-minute mark, sort of Grealish just skinned Carl Walker-Peters kind of any time he wanted to. Mm. And, you know, it was a brilliant cross. Uh, but, you know, Jack Stevens, who we do love on the podcast, but his aerial prowess is not the one, I think kind of gets 
mistimes his jump, gets it wrong. And, and it's a, it was a really smart header from Mings. But I agree, at this point, I'm thinking there's no way. Mm. Um, but. but yeah, I mean, Villas keep on coming. Vestergaard does that incredible block, which yeah. I really enjoyed. I especially enjoyed the wink that he did to the camera afterwards. Did you spot that, Tom? I didn't spot that. That's a shame. Um, we had another Alex McCarthy save. Um, we then had the injuries to Ryan Bertrand mm. um, and then Danny Ng. So then we have like Long, Diallo on. We've got Stevens. Uh, James Will-Prowse moves to left back, doesn't he? And Diallo kind of goes. Yeah, in field. interesting um, thing. Clearly doesn't trust Vokings. And, and actually, the game really is over, I, I think, at this point. We get to the 92nd minute when Grealish wins a penalty, which is a little bit of an error of judgment from Diallo. Didn't really see him coming and he's just going to clear the ball but Grealish gets gets there before him I think probably maybe Diallo needs to his his awareness will probably improve I think with game time in the Premier League because it does move at a faster pace um, yes. than he'll probably be used to um, and you know Watkins takes the penalty I, I almost felt like McCarthy's form up to this point had been so good I was, I was half expecting McCarthy to save it you know, it felt like one of those games where everything was going to go our way. Um, but they get that, it's 4-2. Then Grealish again, kind of making a bit of a mockery of Armstrong and Kyle Walker-Peters. Then, and then a mockery of Alex McCarthy as well, where I don't know what happens to him. Does he give him the eyes? He's, he's just not expecting it, is it? It's quite a clever I just think he's expecting it. I mean, like, he's such a good player. I, mean, I keep saying it, but what a talent. And I, I, I think it almost just... It's that, you know, the great footballers do the unexpected. And I think, you know, a lot of people are expecting to punt that ball into the box. Um, but when you've got that much talent and you can, you know, put the ball on a poster stamp, why not have a crack? And it this was a bit squeaky bum time. Well, was it though? Because basically from the kickoff, the game was over after that, wasn't it? So I ne- did yeah. you ever feel like the lead was truly under threat, Tom? Yeah, I did. I did because I felt that well, a, I thought, well, you know, when he gets to ninety-seven minutes and it's ninety-seven minutes on the clock, you think you almost think, well, you know, if they do get a point, if Villa do get a point, then fair play. Um, and I think we do try towards the end. You know, we pass the ball back, don't we? To Investor Guard, Investor Guard lumps it and it hits Ollie Watkins, and it would have been fascinating to see if that ball had hit Ollie Watkins and bounced kindly for him, and he'd have gone through. If the referee would have dared to blown up. Yeah, as quickly as he did anyway. Yeah. Um, Dean Smith was said there should have been 12 minutes of injury time. I'm not quite sure where that comes from. Um, I don't think, Did he say that there should have been 12 minutes of injury time or did he say that if they'd had 12 minutes of injury time, I, they should have probably have gone on to draw, if not win? I, I thought he said that. I thought he said, yeah, ref has played seven, he should have played 12. Um, I'm not quite sure what that's based on. Um, but I think it... Yeah, it was scary at the end, but someone pointed out on Twitter that it's maybe not a bad thing because it remind, it keeps the players grounded and reminds them there's still an awful lot to do. And players like Diallo, you know, they then have come on and thinking like, oh my God, you know, this is a different level. Um, it also did show you the kind of weakness in our squad a little bit. Vokins wasn't on the bench for whatever reason. Um, but Ward Prowse actually acquitted himself pretty well at left back. I actually thought. Um, so it is, yeah. it is tough though, isn't it? I mean, if you've got three players off injured, yeah, you know that that is kind of bad news. Um, I would argue as well, three of our probably four most influential players. Yeah. If you look at like real leaders, Ben Nurek and Bertrand and Danny Ings, you know probably three of our four most influential players. So, yeah, a bit hairy. Yeah. Um, Danny Ings, it seems that uh, the injury wasn't as bad as perhaps it looked. I mean, when they saw the replay, he kind of went over on his knee and it looked pretty scary, didn't it? Um, Ralph Hassenhuttle saying afterwards that, um, you know, Danny Ings immediately shouted, my knee, my knee. And he was very worried that it was going to be a very serious um, injury. But it, it, it seems that the news coming out is that it doesn't seem that serious. Probably serious enough to keep him out of the um, the game against Newcastle and quite possibly the England squad. 
for the international break that we've got coming up. But I I don't think we'd mind if he misses those two games, if, if that means he's okay. I mean, there was some yeah. worry that he might have done his ACL and then you're looking at kind of probably the whole season being over and not coming back until next season. Yeah. Well, it was interesting the club putting out a statement today saying, you know, an initial scan on Sunday night and showing it wasn't as... There is, because it would be pretty embarrassing for the club now in two or three days' time to have to row back on that. Um, so they must be, you know, the medical advice must be pretty sure, you'd hope. Um, and yeah, you know, I think we were all worried. And for me as well, it looked like a kind of innocuous challenge. It didn't really, he didn't get like clatter, did he? Um, which you always worry they're actually worse, aren't they? When sort of nothing happens, that's when you're often a bit, a bit more scared. But um, hopefully, I mean, yeah, the comments last night from Ralph about my knee, my knee, that was when everyone's had this horrible moment of like, oh, guys, the bloke's season is over and possibly his career. Um, but fingers crossed he'll be all right. And like you say, if the worst that happens is he misses out on Newcastle at home with Saints fifth in the league, um, then, you know, we'll take that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, another thing which I found quite interesting from Ralph Hasenhutl's um, post-match uh, press conference um, is, you know, saying he, obviously the first 60 minutes was good, the final 30 minutes was not. You know, he said, we stopped doing what we can do. And then he goes on to say, but being in that situation, as in being 4-0 up, is something we're not used to. In the future, we'll get used to it. I love that confidence, isn't it? Yeah. It's just like, well, you know, the players aren't used to being 4-0 up, so they don't know what to do in that situation. But don't worry, we'll, we're going to get there quite a few more times in the future. They're going to have to get used to being 4-0 up, um, which it just speaks of a manager that is really pleased with the way his team is playing. Um, to say To make a statement like that, which is quite a big statement, I think, even if it maybe wasn't necessarily intended to be so. Yeah, I mean, when what I can't remember the lot. When did Saints last go four 0 up? I was wondering if it. I I can't remember. Got no idea. Um, it, I think that. I think he realizes. I think the league is weak this year, isn't it? I mean, like we don't know what any team's going to do, but it does feel a bit like when Leicester went on to win it. In terms of, there's a lack of consistency and there's kind of psychodramas happening at a lot of the big clubs. Um, you know, Liverpool losing Van Dijk, Man United having Solskjaer, Guardiola at Man City, clearly, you know, maybe not 100% happy. You know, you just get that feeling that something weird could happen this season. And the weirdest thing might be that, you know, Tottenham win the league, um, you know, which isn't actually that weird if you think about it with Mourinho as their manager and Son and Kane up front. But the league's got a strange feeling about it. And with Saints playing the way they are, if they can keep players fit, they probably feel they could beat everyone in that league probably on their day, apart from Liverpool. Um, yeah, but I think, you know, having watched Aston Villa beat Liverpool 7-2, which was a ridiculous game, and obviously like every shot Villa hit kind of took a deflection and went into the Liverpool goal. Um, yeah, everything they hit went, went in that day. But, the yeah, I, d- I don't know. I think Saints will go into every match trying to win the game. I don't think they're going to go into a single match this season trying to get a point necessarily mm-hmm. or you know just trying not to lose or going in wanting to do damage limitation. Yeah, to an extent I mean we've seen the way that we beat Man City last season that was very much a well this is what we need to do. And yes, we will have to soak up a lot of pressure and we will have to get lucky, but I think Man City are probably a weaker prospect this season than they were last season. Yeah. Um, you know, we've seen with Tottenham, yes, they look really good at St. Mary's, but they didn't look so good in the first half. Um, but yeah, I, th- I think they're, they're probably in for a shout for trying to mount a bit of a title challenge. I kind of think Liverpool will win the title, but I do agree. There is that 2015-16 vibe um, to the season. And it seems like Saints are looking much better than we probably have done, I think, since that season. Um, so, you know, a chance to kind of profit from that would be amazing. And, and Tom, we've got this really, really bizarre opportunity on Friday. Where Let's go to the first time in our history, John. Top of the Premier League, yeah. I mean, yeah. the top of the old first division, haven't we? 
back in the 80s. Yeah, 83, yeah. Yeah, I mean, look, I, and also Newcastle at home is, um, is, was the last game before lockdown. Uh, last game in front of a crowd of St Mary's. Um, I was there. It was horrendous. Gineffo got sent off. It was just an awful, awful game. Um, so the revenge is, is needed. Newcastle look pretty good, to be fair, at the, at the moment. But, yeah, Saints are going to go into this thinking, if they can win, they will be top. Now, they probably won't be top by the time all the other fixtures are settled. Um, but they're going to go into the international break, probably in the top four. Yeah. Um, and, what, there'll be eight games into a season? So, what, we're over a fifth of the way through a season? They've, you know... They've played some difficult teams already in Chelsea, Spurs, Everton. They'll fancy Man United. They'll fancy Man City. They won't, yeah, they won't be worried about playing anyone. And yeah, we will get, we'll, yeah, we'll probably get ahead of ourselves. But a tilt at Europe right now doesn't seem unrealistic if we can keep players fit. No, no, it, it doesn't. I definitely take that point. Um, I am going to throw a bit of caution into the going to sprinkle some caution over the podcast at this point Tom because <laughs> do you remember the last time Saints had a similar opportunity quite early on in the season to go top of the league it was under Pochettino do you remember this we're away at yeah. Arsenal in the Emirates and I think Arsenal and Saints were the top two teams we got in battered. the division that day we didn't get battered I think we lost I think we lost 2-1 but the first, or we may have lost 2-0, but the first goal we conceded came from Arta Boric oh, trying to Boric. do a Cruyff yeah. turn yeah. Um, just outside the Saints box. And I can't remember who the Arsenal striker was, but they, they took advantage of that and um, put the ball in the back of that. And that was the last time we, we had the opportunity to go top of the Premier League. Um, I just fear that, you know, it's too, it's too obvious us being able to beat Newcastle at home. It's not going to happen, Tom. We're going to somehow fluff our lives. But, but we've spoken about this loads, John. It is the Saints' paradox is, you know, you'll, you'll go to Chelsea and you get a point. You should have get three. You comfortably beat Everton at home, beat Man City, you know, lose at home to Newcastle. You know, this is, the, this is what Ralph needs to do, isn't it? To get this group of players from 11th in the league... Mm. Seventh or sixth is to to turn over your West Ham's, your Burnleys, and your Newcastles. Um, you know, almost take the softer points. Uh, but I, you know, I think why not? Saints will fancy it on Friday and go into the international break. You know, keep get get Danny Ings back after the break. Then they've got two difficult games um, in Wolves away and Man United at home. But you know, they can draw at Wolves away and they can definitely beat Man United at home. So, you know, by that stage, you know, we're getting ahead of ourselves. You're 11 games, you know, while you're then you're 10 games into the season. But it, it they won't fear anyone. No. And they can. We, we, we absolutely need to get this kind of game against Newcastle done. I mean, we just have to, we have to win that. And I, I want Saints to prove me wrong because I have a theory that with Southampton, every time we get to the point where we're starting to look really good, I think we start to believe the hype. You know, mm. We believe our own hype. And I think as soon as we become overconfident, everything sort of seems to fall apart at that point. We lack concentration. And I guess in some ways, the, um, the Villa game is almost a microcosm of that because you know, as soon as we started believing that we're some amazing world-beating side and we're going to go on and win this 8-0, we then end up allowing them to get it back to to 4-3 we take our kind of like mind off off the matter at hand and I just really hope that the Saints players don't go St Mary's on Friday thinking oh my god this is our chance to go top of the league and they're instead they're actually going really focused going right this is how we need to beat Newcastle these are their weaknesses James Will Prowse is thinking this is how they set up their wall um, you know is it going to be um, Vokins perhaps against Alan San Maxim. I think he's going to be having to look at this and going, well, this is going to have to be the, this could this be the the launch pad for my career dealing with this, this right winger, who's so talented and such an exciting prospect really for Newcastle, uh, and they have been looking better. But I I just hope we don't go there thinking, oh, this is Newcastle under Steve Bruce, and that we really do focus and we get that result. 
they they look pretty good so far at Newcastle. I don't think. I mean, it, Ralph doesn't strike me as a sort of man who lets players take it easy. And I wonder if the, you know, I wonder if that second half against Villa is a blessing in disguise because, yeah, yeah, they'll all have had today off and maybe they'll get tomorrow off as well. But they'll come in on Wednesday and I think he'll say, well, yeah, great first sixty minutes, but let's watch that thirty minutes over and over again and look at what we did wrong, and. With Saints, it seems to be, and maybe this is just because this is what Ralph keeps saying, is is that if they stick to the plan, they will win or draw games and make life very difficult for players, the opposition players. The minute they sort of stop doing what Ralph has told them to do and they sort of, their minds wander, that's when they struggle. And the trick is, you know, they did it for 90 minutes against Everton. They did it for 60 minutes against Villa. They did it for 60 minutes against Chelsea. Um, you know, I think they did it for 90 minutes against West Brom. The trick is, you know, doing it for 90 minutes, home against Newcastle. Boring game, you know, but they've got to win because if they win, going to the international break, top four. Oh, I mean, it would be so good, wouldn't it, Tom? So, so good. All right, Tom. Stop any European holiday. I'm going to bring up a, uh email from... Dan, who's in Hong Kong, getting lots of lots of international listeners kind of emailing in at the moment. I like it. We, I think we had Thailand and New Zealand last week. We've got um, uh, Hong Kong this week. Uh, so Dan, you know, hi gents. It's fun to listen to Saints again. Well, through your podcast, watching in Hong Kong with the UK commentary was ridiculous. Fairly sure I completed my Saints bingo card within twenty minutes. He's got 9-0 versus Leicester. Free kick expert James Will Prowse. Most drop points from winning positions in his bingo card. Um, he, he goes, he's really talking about the Everton game, but also talks about kind of the, the pundits. He even says, you know, even after the final whistle when they showed the table, one of them said, oh, Southampton are up to fifth. And the other pundit kind of felt it necessary to chip in with temporarily. And, you know, how would, how would uh, pundits say, you know, if it was Man United? Um he says, you know, he, he thought we did a very professional number on league leaders Everton. I think at points you know, we did really well against Aston Villa as well. And is asking, is is that is some acknowledgement too much to ask uh, from the pundits? You know, thought we were the neutrals' favourite. Um, you'd think we'd get some actual analysis beyond, oh, James Will Price is all, all, is all right free kicks and they lost 9-0 a while ago. Um, so that that's the kind of first question. There's another point. I mean, what do you think about this one, Tom? I think it's a really good point. I think a lot of people... I actually didn't think Redmond had that bad a game against Everton. I thought he struggled for the first 30 minutes, and then I thought he was actually quite influential. But Sky giving him man of the match uh, was quite interesting because it suggested either that they saw an unbelievable game that no one else did, or that they weren't really paying attention to Saints. And and Alan Swift just sort of, you know, gave gave the man of the match to, to the bloke who he thought, you know, played the best for the second half. Um, I think that's right. And I listened to the Guardian's Football Weekly podcast earlier. And on that, they had uh, a bloke whose name escapes me, but he's a he's a Wiccan Wanderers midfielder. And he was on there with like Barry Glendening. And they were talking about James Will Prowse and they were talking about how good his free kicks are and everything. And this guy who plays for Wickham said, well, yeah, he's 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 a pretty good midfielder, Premier League midfielder. He's not great. And I think it it shows a lack of awareness of the all-round game that James Ward-Prowse has. You know, because people look at those free kicks and they're saying he's thinking about Letizia. You know, what what are these amazing free kicks? Well, actually, you know, any Saints fan who's watched games in the last two years will tell you that James Ward-Prowse is now actually a tough tackling midfielder who can play at fullback, um, and. You know, and a and a really good passer of the ball, and a very intelligent footballer, and a very aggressive footballer, who also can take really, really, really good set pieces. You know, he's you know the idea that he's this luxury player that you keep on the pitch to take free kicks is just wrong. But I think it's it belies the fact that people, you know, people who are meant to be experts don't watch Saints, and they just sort of see. They see that, whereas you know, Ward-Prowse has a lot, lot more to his game now than just um, some snazzy free kicks. Tom, I, I think this tells me that I, I need to give you a podcasting recommendation. I think you need to ditch Guardian Football Weekly and go for the, the Total Football Show, which is where James Richardson went after the Guardian. All right, I'll um, make it up. Yeah, I mean, they, they had uh, Michael Cox on 
oh, um, who was who was joined us last week, and he didn't give that analysis of James Will Prowse. He he talked about kind of what we talked about in last week's podcast. So I mean, this week's Total Football Show. It was probably a little bit boring for everyone who listened to the Saints FC podcast last week. So apologies, listeners, if I, if we ruined <laughs> this Monday show because Michael Cox was didn't get a chance to go into as much detail as he did last time. But slightly more nuanced analysis, Tom. I think they've t- they've taken it a level up. I'll, I'll send you the link. Yeah, please do. Yeah, um, I, I'll, I'll get back to um, uh, to Dan from Hong Kong. Uh, he also says, isn't the new signing effect strange? It looked an easy and obvious decision a month ago. Drop Romeo, drop Stevens, in come the new boys. Now Romeo is playing out of his skin and Vestergaard suddenly looks like the player we bought from Germany. And if anything, Bednarek is making a case f- for him being dropped. What point do you put in Salise and Diallo in as starters and who would you come? Who would come out? Um, he also mentioned that I didn't think we have much of a plan B with Ralph. Um, and also says that he doesn't think Ralph would alter the formation uh, to bring them in and saying, do you remember those dark days when we had to play five at the back just to try and keep the score down? So, I don't know why. I mean, I, there's a, the theory that Silesia has been made up to make um, Vestergaard play well. Uh, I, that can't be true. I'm sure Silesia is actually a real footballer. If it has some sort of mystery injury, you know, that, that no one knows what that is. Um, I can't see why, you know, and I'm sure Diallo is very, very good, but if it ain't broke, don't, you know, don't fix it. And this is, the team is a finely oiled machine right now, uh, with everyone playing a really important role and playing it to perfection. You know, they, someone has to play badly for one of those players to come in. Um, and yeah, I, mean, I think Benrek. Is, is the weaker out of the two centre-backs for right now. But that says more about the quality of Vestergaard than it does actually about how bad Benderek has been yeah. playing. Yes, got made to look like a mug by Werner, but you know, he won't be the only person that happens to this season. No, no. I mean, uh, Vestergaard has really stepped up. But it's one of those things, that it, and it also shows the importance of bringing in signings just to keep your other pay- players on their toes. Mm. I mean, if Romeo improves this much just because he knows that once he loses his position, he's going to really have to struggle to get it back from Diallo and actually maybe playing better every week is a better way of maintaining your position in the starting 11 than it is you know, losing it and trying to fight to get that back because if Diallo doesn't put a foot wrong, he won't be dropped. So he's kind of got the shirt at the moment, but Diallo is breathing down his neck, I'm sure, and he must be thinking about that. Um, and probably the same for, for Vestergaard and Bednarek. I think they are going to be worried that once Lise is back to full fitness, um, you know, that was a player that Ralph said he, he brought in to make, make it into the first team, not just as a backup. Mm-hmm. So if that means the rest of them all step up their game because they don't want to be the one that gets dropped, that's that's a really great thing. And hopefully we'll see the same thing happen with Red, with um, Nathan Redmond as well. Um, yeah. I think he was well, kind of perhaps yeah. unfairly dropped after that that Everton game, but lots of things weren't coming off for him. So I can see why Ralph might want to experiment with Walcott. I think Walcott understand had a great game. Yeah, I, mean, I didn't think Walcott had a great game against Villa. Um, well, he's probably a bit on the periphery for a lot of it. I felt it was harsh on on Redmond, but you know, I, I feel Redmond will will probably play against uh, will probably play against Newcastle, and they'll put Walcott through the middle instead of Danny Ings. Mm. Uh, which will be exciting because that's I mean I think Saints have signed well but also you know you're seeing a lot more muscle injuries this season a lot more injuries there's more suspensions because there's more cards being doled out um, players are going to get chances but ultimately it would be grossly unfair on any of that team to get dropped yeah and I've got one last thing so Dan's covered a hell of a lot here in his email but I think this one's worth pointing <laughs> out as well um do you remember I mentioned uh, last week, Tom, that uh, we have a chap called Ben who's doing this uh, Saints 11 yes. with Ed Chamberlain. So we've got um, international break next week. So we'll release it out there so you still get some Saints content in your Saints FC podcast feed. But Dan has, has come in with his kind of um, his wild card entry for his Saints, uh, perfect Saints 11. He's gone for Tommy Rid- Rid- Widrington. Do you remember him? Oh, yeah, the tough tackling Geordie sort of defensive midfielder, sort of same sort of time as Shearer came through yeah. from that where we had in Newcastle. Yeah, I mean, he says, unsung hero, great attitude, clearly loved playing and always gave 100%, was Mr. Utility, perfect bench pair 
Any outfield positions? Covered. Tommy Weird is your man. I'm sure he'd have a go in between the sticks if you told him <laughs> as well. So, John, we did go. we ever get your unsung hero? No, we didn't. We're we going to get that. We're at 59 minutes now, Tom, so I'm going to need oh. to think about it for a bit longer so we can wrap this up perfectly on the hour. <laughs> Swerved. Uh, I promise, uh, after I listen to the Ben, and which I actually, to be honest, I have listened to it already, it's a really good episode. So make sure, even though there's no Saints game um, necessarily coming up in the international break, it is definitely worth tu- tuning in for the Ed Chamberlain one. It's, it's, it's a really good listen. Um, so you've got that one to look forward to. But I think from us, Tom, that's that's probably it, isn't it? Yeah. I think, uh, you know, just a, a quick reminder of the, the sponsors as well. So if you wanted to try out um, those products that we talked about earlier, it's uh, manscaped.com. And then the code to get your discount is Saints. Um, so just, you know, show, show them some love. John, I, I promise I will try those products out for the, for the next episode and report back. <laughs> Fantastic. I can't wait to hear your experience, Tom. Right. Anyway, ladies and gentlemen, it's been um, an absolute pleasure talking about Saints winning again, being so high up the table um, and, you know, that, that potential opportunity to go up to the top of the table, even if, if, even if only briefly on a Friday. What, what an opportunity that is for Saints. And, um I'm already excited for Friday. I mean, I know you shouldn't wish your life away, but I'm ready for Friday. <laughs> hey, there's going to be nothing else to do now and then, so you might as well look forward to that. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Goodbye, listeners, and uh, we'll see you next week.